the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. 2020 appears to have gone completely off script, even for an industry that has learned to expect the unexpected. The flock of black swans that has less than gracefully dived into view recently have disrupted plans A, B and C for most of the industry. The sequence of events beginning with US sanctions on Costco, their eventual waiver, coronavirus and uh, most recently the collapse of the OPEC plus agreements have undoubtedly created one of the most volatile freight markets in recent history. I have with us this week to discuss, deliberate and try to find some way forward in all this disruption. Chris Palson from Lloyd's List Intelligence, our consultancy division, and Michelle Vesey-Bockman, our markets editor. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Michelle, let's start with you. You have had something of a busy week. What what started off with us thinking we were going to continue our coronavirus impact assessment uh, was somewhat disrupted over the weekend. Give us the, the overview in terms of what's happened and why this is so significant to the shipping industry as a whole. So, Richard, what happened over the weekend is that Saudis decided to fulfil their promise to flood the market with oil, lowered the price and then proceeded to charter as many VLCCs, very large crude carriers, that they could get their hands on. And, of course, the other oil companies, predominantly in Asia, had a look at this and thought, oh, we better get on top of this as well. And so we've had crazy numbers fixed for vessels um, topping $300,000 a day. However, my theory is, is that this is the tanker market equivalent of the great loo roll hoarding that we're seeing because of um, coronavirus here in the UK and Australia, and that really this is just panic buying. All of these fixtures have been on subjects, which means they're provisionally chartered and they haven't been lifted, which means the deals haven't been concluded. So really what the market now is doing is waiting to see which of these deals go ahead, and that way we will see whether there's a ceiling to all this craziness. If we look to October, when we saw a similar situation happen, when we had sanctions put on Costco, which is the Chinese government-owned shipping company, we saw the same sort of rapid tenfold rise in rates in, you know, 24 hours that we've had this week, but then very few of them materialised. So lots of froth, lots of bubble coronavirus thrown in for good measure. We've got oil flooding the market just as demand is contracting. It really is a very, very crazy part of history in the tanker markets right now. And just finishing up, this is pitting Vladimir Putin against Donald Trump and the Saudi crown prince known as MBS, all of whom are combustible and volatile Um, world leaders. So when you add the geopolitics into this mix, everything is ready for a crazy roller coaster ride for the tanker markets in 2020. Well, exactly. Uh, The the, the purpose of this podcast in many ways is to sort of get behind the headlines of the week and to really take a considered view of what happens next. But um, increasingly, that is becoming a difficult prospect to fulfil. Chris, Give us give us a more level headed view uh, you know, amongst all this froth and uh, excitement that Michelle's been writing about this week. Let's not forget the fundamentals. Give us a view on where the supply demand balance fits and why this might not be quite so volatile in the long term, given the supply of ships on the water. 
Uh, sure, Richard. I mean, we currently have a short-term appetite to stock up when prices are low, but there is a limit to how much they can and want to have in storage. The underlying demand is lower uh, currently due to the cascading effect from the virus outbreak. Uh, the effects then knock on the different supply chains, on production and also on, on the end consumption. Eventually, we will come back to a tanker supply side where we still have a, a fairly large order book of ships to be delivered, added to capacity. Uh, and we have a demand side where the main demand comes from China, Korea, Japan, and to some extent India, and also on the growth side, you find that. Um, we have a supply side where, where uh, of oil where South uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, some of the other OPEC members uh, fight with uh, Russia and the United States over who is to, to, to be the main and preferred suppliers to, to these growth countries. So that is the situation. Uh, and the main uncertainty today is what is the combined effect of the corona outbreak and the uh, uh, oil price effect of the uh, uh, recent card that uh, Saudi Arabia has played. It could very well be a fairly short-lived phenomena and the underlying fundamentals will, will catch up eventually. And mm. we are back to where we were earlier. But the length of the corona effect on the underlying demand for you know more more energy for transportation and uh, which is the main use of oil is uh, i mean it could it could last for several quarters actually mm. you've, you've both mentioned the reference to, to floating storage as an option but what talk us through the sort of the the tipping points here in terms of when that becomes a viable decision and whether you think we are going to see an uptick in, in tankers being used as floating storage, depending on what happens next. Well, I doubt that anyone would uh, see the benefit of buying oil at a, uh, you know, when the crude oil prices are around $30 per barrel and then paying $300,000 per day for, for a storage uh, tanker. Uh, 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 that's not really attractive in the same way. Uh, so, so there is... That we need to reach a situation where, where there are more, more vessels available at more attractive prices. I, I cannot really say exactly where that breakpoint is, but it's, it's not where we are right now. If I can weigh in there, Richard, um, looking at the, the market structure, the contango market structure, which is where the forward price is higher than the current spot price. When we look at Brent crude, we're seeing a difference in that price that typically would support um, buying fuel now and then storing it for sale later at a profit. However, as Chris says, nobody really knows how much you're going to have to pay for a VLCC in order to do that. I did some back of envelope calculations and currently at a three month rate of $35,000 per day, it is profitable to do it. We're not really seeing that yet. And that's possibly because this is not going to be a strategy that oil companies will be looking at immediately because there's just so much white noise in the background. Everyone is scrambling to deal with the broader implications of the, the coronavirus. So I think the jury's out on whether or not we'll see a repeat of 2009-2010 when we saw a lot of these vessels chartered for floating storage because the circumstances are so different. I mean, that was before US shale oil, and it was before we had these geopolitical um, events and leaders that were, were subject to such rash and mercurial decisions.
and and this is the thing. I mean, shipping industry is littered with heroes who have made the right decisions at the right time, and 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 these decisions don't come along all that often. Yes, it is probably not going to be a long-term play, but presumably there are some real opportunities for people prepared to move quickly enough in this market. Well, John Angelakousis is probably the biggest winner at the moment because um, I think about six of his very large crude carriers have been chartered by Bari, that's the Saudi Arabian national shipping arm, uh, national shipping company, and depending on whether those vessels actually the, the deals he's made go through, he could be making literally millions just in a very short period of, of six to eight weeks. So he's he looks like he's the biggest winner at, the, at this stage. Um, I think it's just if you've got your tanker um, in a position empty and able to sort of grab that price, then, you know, you'll make the most of it. But I, I think, you know, there's also the lower oil prices obviously going to affect economies like Venezuela, and it's also going to cause major disruption in the US for shale oil producers who are heavily indebted. So there's just so many reverberating consequences to what's going on at the moment. And we must not forget the the uh, this is another uh, hard hit on the offshore industry. I mean, they have gone through a lot of cost cost cutting over the past five years. And uh, we're reaching a breaking point, you know, where they can actually make a return to the market. But uh, this recent outplay uh, with the prices down to $30 per per barrel uh, is not what they wanted to have. Well, exactly. I mean, the the VLCC fraternity may be uh, rubbing their hands with glee that they could uh, get some short term wins here. But uh, there's a significant way that the rest of the industry is currently looking a little bit worried, uh, not yeah. least those who invested fairly heavily on the scrubber side uh, uh, for smaller ships. The economics there with the oil price not looking quite so favorable and uh, even more so if you're in the cruise game. Uh, we don't tend to cover cruise as a business. It's more hotels on water than shipping as far as we're concerned. But uh, anybody with a cruise ship and a scrubber uh, is going to be looking at the balance sheet uh, a little bit uh, worried uh, this year, I suspect. Yeah, well, you ha- yeah, absolutely. Emma, and you can have a similar kind of argument when it comes to LNG, if you have uh, just ordered that. We, uh, but that said, I mean, you make those investments, you know, with uh, 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 somewhere between a five and 20 year horizon. And we are now talking about something that has been a play for a couple of days. So, so uh, um, let's let's not play that card too much. But the current situation def- definitely is not encouraging for any kind of investment in that direction. Indeed, indeed. Well, we're going to wrap this section of the podcast up there. Um, Michelle, Christopher, thank you very much for joining us. We will no thank doubt you, be Richard. hearing from you again. Um, given that the rest of the industry is no longer traveling anywhere, attending conferences or even stepping outside of their house, you'll have <laughs> that much more time to listen to podcasts. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to coronavirus and the Saudis sending the oil markets into a tailspin, the industry's already complicated bunker strategies have been challenged once again. Marine fuel pricing has actually fallen year on year, and the predicted savings from exhaust gas scrubbers have increasingly evaporated. The difference in price between high and low sulfur fuel oils has shrunk by two thirds in two months, falling below $100 a tonne in Singapore for the first time at the beginning of this month. 
If the current spread continues, scrubber fittings really could prove to be the wrong bet for many ship owners. Joining me from our Asia team to discuss what this all means, I'm delighted to say I have Hui Hui Tan, our senior reporter based out in Singapore, and Sishin Chen, our China editor based out in Hong Kong. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks, Richard. Uh, thanks for having us. So Hui Hui, give me your take on what's been happening and why this is all so significant. So what we have seen is the fuel spread has uh, narrowed drastically. Um, a few factors contributing to this. Uh, more recently, of course, is because of the oil price crash. The oil price crash actually uh, has a more direct impact on VLSFO, which is the combined fuel today, and the sort of like new de facto fuel of uh, uh, relatively more so than HSFO, which is uh, high sulfur fuel oil, uh, which was previously used uh, more for shipping, yeah, and now um, has degraded to what uh, Platts called an interior product, uh, inferior product. So what's, what, what has transpired is that the, the spread has most recently actually narrowed, mainly because oil price has weighed in more, the crash has weighed more on the VLSS VLSFO versus the HSFO. But this is not actually new news, as in it was actually set in momentum ever since, I would say, IMO 2020 coming into play. The spread has actually been volatile, and the the narrowing of the spread actually started more recently um, in recent months because of the coronavirus disrupting the the, uh, oil demand. And then again, it spilled over to the two products, but uh, probably more so with VLSFO. But then as we have seen, the spread has been very volatile since even before crossing over to IMO 2020. And the thing is, ship owners probably have realized probably right now that uh, because VLSFO is the product that's very different from HSFO, but HSFO is actually residual fuel that is at one time primary use as ship fuel versus other users. So, so the demand, uh, demand supply forces or the larger forces that are shaping the price of HSFO, you, ship owners probably are a lot more familiar with them than say VLSFO, which actually is um, actually a blend of distillates and HSFO and other components, uh, which means that uh, those products could have been used, more broadly used outside marine, mm. the marine industry. So so that's also uh, what experts have said, strengthen the correlation of VLSFO price with oil, mm. right? And oil is, as we can see, uh, it crashed mainly because the Saudis chose to flood the market with their crude, right? Because they couldn't agree with the Russians on cutting production to support oil price. And so they want the the Russians to bow to pressure to come to the table. That's 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 the situation right now. So so all those geopolitical forces at play at OPEC plus level and whatnot. Right now they are because of the IMO twenty twenty arguably that influence over fuel oil prices uh has actually increased, arguably. And all this is affecting also the spread that ship owners use to guide their scrubber investments. And this I leave to Zichen 
to discuss also how ship owners have reacted. But uh, just one last note. Um, before the uh, Saudis moved to flood the oil market, before that, actually, uh, one week before that, we were assessing also the coronavirus uh, impact. And back then, actually, the scrubber premium, which actually relates to the earning differential between scrubber-fitted ships and non-scrubber-fitted ships, that was still positive. So rightfully, ship owners, given that it's still positive, ship owners would have still maybe seen positive gains from their scrubber investments. But then there are other other factors which probably Sichuan can discuss that should have factored in also into the equation. If they have not factored in, then probably we, we should reassess whether this premium still stands. Well, Sichuan, let's bring you in there. There's a complicated set of circumstances there, but basically the, narr- the, the narrowing fuel spread has challenged certain assumptions that were made when these investments uh, had originally happened. As Hui Hui says, you know, there is still a minor premium there, but it's certainly not the uh, economic models that were being bandied around even six months ago by the more bullish end of the scrubber fitted market. What have you seen this week in terms of the response from the industry around changing marine fuel patterns? Before we raise question uh, to the scrubber economics, we have to distinguish owners who invested uh, for hedging and those who have invested for gambling. Because if it's for hedging, then it's fine. Because uh, why the uh, premium of the scrubber fitted vessels have dropped, uh, so have the uh, you know bunker costs for those non uh, scrubber fitted vessels. Mm. But uh, you know for those you know owners who have gambled on scrubbers, um, which I mean those. Uh, you know, owners who have, uh, you know, uh, installed scrubbers on the vast majority or even the whole of their fleet, then it's a different story. The initial stage of the IMO 2020 is regarded as one of the best periods of time uh, to recover the investment. I mean, during which the um, uh, supply of low sulfur fuel is tight and the spread is high. Mm. Um, so, uh, for example, say if you if the owner can recover uh, most of the initial investment of scrubbers in the first year, then the tail risk is very small. But now, you know, just as we entered into the third month of IMO 2020, uh, with the spread dropping below 100, even in last for just a couple of months, you know, the risk can increase quite substantially because, you know, no one knows the future, right? The future is always unpredictable. So for if you invest in scrubber, especially if you gambled in, on scrubbers, then the idea is to recover the investment as soon as possible so that you can reduce the tail risk. But now I think with the current situation, you know, those sort of scrubber gamblers would be very panicked. There is the high possibility that those owners that have already committed will be caught uh, by very unforeseen delays. Uh, how that will affect their bottom lines, uh, that's to be seen. And then there are those owners that were sitting at, uh, at the fence, uh, on the fence. Um, I've heard 
from one event last year that certain a certain Indian ship owner has given the indication to the scrubber supplier that um, the he will only commit if if based on um, the scrubber uh, or the fuel price spread for for the the first six months of this year, right? But the first six months of this year have already been badly disrupted by two events, uh, two developments that are totally not shipping related, nor, um, nor to some extent trade related, or at least uh, the nature is not shipping or trade related initially, right? So how are you going to um, uh, size up your potential investments in this light? Would there be a possibility that they might as well just forget it, right? Or would they deem the window has already passed? Because there's also talk of like an armed arm race in, in, in the container shipping space. Um, the, the talk has been that um, let's do it first before the rest do it, right? And then you yield the, the savings earlier and recoup the investments earlier so that probably you can lower your shipping rates, mm. uh, be the first to lower your shipping rates ahead of the rest. So if you're already a laggard, then is it really time to jump in the game? Uh, I'm not sure. So uh, I, I'm a little bit pessimistic uh, on this front, but there is, of course, uh, the question of how fuel oil price will move from this point onwards. But then you have to contend with forces that probably are not as easy to gauge as before because you're talking about geopolitical forces that have exactly. shaped oil price market for, for, for the longest but, time. Yeah. But, but, but I think one of the initial assumptions uh, in industry uh, before 2020 was that, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning, uh, the supply of low sulfur fuel would be very tight. Um, that, that, that would be one of the major reasons of a, uh, a large spread uh, between, you know, high sulfur, between low sulfur fuel and high sulfur fuel. Uh, but the, the fact is that now, because of these uh, geopolitical uh, disruptions, you actually, uh, you know, we, we are now like less than three months uh, from the implementation of uh, this uh, social cap, and the, the spread has already dropped below 100. Uh, so I think, uh, no, I mean, the oil price might correct. Uh, in late uh, in the later days, but uh, that means some of the opportunities to gain from the scrubber investment have already lost. Um, I just want to weigh in on one more point. If oil is indeed shaping today's fuel oil price more than before, right? Then perhaps this is a word of caution for ship owners out there that are still leaning towards using the fuel oil fuel price spread for the investments, whether or not on scrubbers or other future fuelers. Take a review of things, uh, go back and let's go back like 10 years uh, or, or more before in 2008. There was a time when oil actually spiked to 147 around mid of that year and then crashed to 30 odd dollars at the end of the year. 
and then rebounded again in 2009 uh, to, to, in the, to the 50s and 60s in the first half very quickly. That is the level of volatility that you're talking about. <laughs> you know, and you have to find a way to factor in that volatility into your calculation. So is the shipping industry ready for that? Uh, I, right now, I don't think the shipping industry is ready for most things coming its way, but it is still having to deal with them. Uh, and as you say, these are outside forces coming into play uh, at a point where the industry is already reeling from uh, a number of uh, difficult and significant changes to the way it operates. But we will continue to cover the implications, the trends and the stories behind these developments. Uh, but for now, um, thank you for joining the podcast, uh, Sichuan and Hui Hui. And we'll be uh, back with you shortly to, uh, to hear more from uh, you uh, in coming weeks. Thanks, Richard. Thank you.